This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. everybody welcome back welcome back to the do not listen to this podcast i'm your host sam lacrosse can you dig it i can i certainly can i am very happy to be back speaking with well not speaking with you i'm speaking with myself but i am in a different circumstance than i once was because um i did not post last week because i was busy with moving into my new apartment i got a um promotion of my actual work i do not do this for a living at least not yet and so i will <laughs> Um, I was busy moving all of my shit from Boston, Massachusetts to Austin, Texas, completely by car. I drive a 2017 Ford Fusion Hybrid and trying to tow several thousand pounds behind a that type of car throughout mountains, throughout Kentucky, throughout Arkansas, even though Arkansas is flat as shit, I've realized it's a beautiful state. And all the way down to Austin, Texas, where I just got a, um, I'm starting a new position in my work and wanted to just move down here for... Not necessarily the weather, because I actually do like the winters in the Midwest and the North, believe it or not. I actually do like the snow, but it's kind of just like, it's, and I'm not like, oh, this like, this isn't like the gold rush of like, you know, oh, I want to move to California so I can say I moved to California type of thing. Like move to Austin so I can say like I moved to Austin type of thing. I genuinely have wanted to be out here for quite some time at, at this point. And I think that because I've wanted to be out here for so long, I've kind of really put an emphasis on getting out there just to see what would happen when I moved out there. And I've been here for a week. And I mean, not to, not to toot Austin's horn or anything, but it is pretty awesome. It's, it's humid. It's all this other stuff and everything like that. But, um, and I'm not the biggest fan of hot, humid weather. But besides that, it's been pretty great so far. I mean, the people are very nice. Uh, it's very lively. It's less cramped than Boston is. It beats Boston in that regard and many others by a mile, in my estimation. And um, also last week, I was doing my fundraiser for uh, the Ultra Murph for the fundraiser I was doing to raise money for uh, military veterans and special needs kids and um, fuck, what was the, the Barstool Fund. So um, that went about as well as I expected it to go or actually surpassed my expectations. It did pretty well. Biggest physical challenge of my life and, you know, was in quite a lot of pain for that whole time doing it and the next couple of days. So, but that is over with. The new job has been started. The move has almost complete. I just need to get some things from Amazon and some other, you know, local resellers here. And then I'm basically, you know, I don't know if you guys give a shit about any of this. You probably don't. You're here for something else. But I figured I'd fill you guys in. So it's almost done. And I'm in a really blessed and fortunate place in my life. And I, that's why I missed last week. So anyway, 
I wanted to kind of go to this post today, and this is a throwback from last November, so not too too long ago, at least according to this blog, because I started um, doing the uh, the blog only twice a week or twice a month, so it doesn't really feel like that long ago. But I feel like I want this was a post that I had wanted to write for a very long time. When I got around to writing it, I got very excited. So this one, I think, is I think a lot of people view the terminology of being an instigator in the wrong way. And I think a lot of people want to typecast people as one way or another versus if they have this quality or not. Do I think that's very fair? I don't really know. I honestly haven't looked at this post in a while, but I think I have some very strong opinions and feelings about it. And it was right after the election. So it was kind of a shit show. It went right into the topic because you kind of have to be an instigator to be a presidential candidate, whether you're... Um, Trump or Biden or whoever you were voting for, a third-party candidate, whoever, whoever the fuck. But so I wanted to revisit this today because I think it's important. I think it's an important topic for our generation, especially. And I want to just kind of hone in and revisit this. And maybe me talking about it would be better than me bludgeoning you over the head with a Google Doc. So here we go. So, like I said, I started this. You know, about this is posted on November thirteenth. So I think the election was. I think like November. Third, I think, yeah, it was on my dad's birthday. It was my dad's birthday, so it was November 3rd, so this is 10 days after the election. So uh, I start the post, sincerely hope most of you aren't dead from the hysteria that's been going on, because we could be on for a while. I don't know about you, but I don't, th don't think it's nearly as bad as I thought. This was before the, um, the, the shit on January 6th and everything else happened, so obviously it got much worse. But um, let's hope that trend continues. It did not continue. Spoiler alert. So... Let's expand on that trend for a bit. So two posts before this, I basically wrote an everybody calm the fuck down post in the 2020 presidential election. I said that you'd be better off sitting tight and strapping yourselves in for a while. I said it would probably take about a month to decide with court intervention and litigation likely. I said that the outcome would be scary with most, most likely faith in our election systems being shaken for a good number of people. And I don't like to toot my own horn, especially about stuff that's this depressing and um, narcissistic. But I pretty much got all of that right, even now looking back on it. I wasn't alone. I think a lot of people thought the shit would go down. The lawful election of the most powerful man in the world should not be taken lightly. We, sh we should have let all the process play out. Obviously, that, that did not happen. We should put partisanship aside. Obviously, that did not happen. We should be kind to our fellow Americans once in a very long time. That obviously did not happen. So whether that man is Joe Biden or Donald Trump, turned out to be Joe Biden, is and should be irrelevant to you. They don't dictate your life. They can't. It's almost impossible unless you try to moon them in the Rose Garden or something, and that would make you a hero, not a villain. But I did think that the 2020 presidential election raised an important distinction. For a lot of things, including the president of our country, the most powerful person isn't necessarily the most important person. For example, the most powerful person in a 10-person company can't, most likely can't hold a candle to Jeff Bezos of Amazon. The discrepancy is just too great, the birth too wide. The most powerful person in a particular category does not necessarily equal the most important person in the category. There's a distinction that must be made. These are true in the basic forms of the definitions of the two words themselves. The de definition for the word important, according to the dictionary, is, quote, marked by or indicative of significant worth or consequence, end quote. The corresponding definition for power is, quote, possession of control, authority, or influence over others, end quote. There's a clear difference here. One is only a matter of consequence, importance, the other of status, power. It is quite clear, at least to me, that whoever, the president, whoever our president ends up being, and ended up being Joe Biden, will become the person that possesses control, authority, or influence over others. 
they will have the most possession of control, authority, or influence over others. The loser will probably be up there as well, and is up there in uh, um, former President Trump's case. The importance does not equal power. In fact, I would say importance transcends power. It is one thing to have power. It is another thing to have importance. Importance is universal. Power is relative. You can have a lot of power when you're an abuser in a relationship, but as soon as you get out of the relationship, you just fit in with the rest of the garbage. However, if you're important, you can have worth and consequence beyond the simple power dynamics. That's an important distinction. So the question remains, is either Joe Biden or Donald Trump going to be the most important person in the world or simply the most powerful? I would argue that they are not, no matter who wins. Their power cannot transcend other beings of importance. They're too tied down by bureaucracy, partisan politics, grabbing women by the genitals, dealing with corrupt business and communist governments, that sort of thing. True importance lies in the ability to rise above mere power. Power is fickle compared to importance. It's the reason why the movements behind the past, quote, potential presidencies of Barack Obama and Donald Trump, not so much Joe Biden in my opinion, were so strong. They weren't just powerful, they were important to their respective bases. It's why President Obama was able to become the first man to become president in a country with history spattered with bouts of horrific racism, and why President Trump was able to overcome a hornet's nest of bureaucrats and ruling class elitism. They're nearly deified by a lot of people. They're gods. For that reason, they held importance. Until they got into office and traded it for power, that is. Once they got into their office, their importance faded. They had no momentum anymore. They were stuck. They had a tremendous amount of power, but they didn't hold the importance they once did, at least in my estimation. But they did hold on to something, and it was through that wielding of the most powerful weapon that humankind can ever wield. Instigation. The dictionary definition for the word instigate is, quote, to go to urge forward, provoke, end quote. Oh, so you don't think a black dude can run the country? Watch this. So what if I hosted a reality show and have been married three times? Go fuck yourself, Jeb Bush. That defiance, that willingness to press onward in the midst of overwhelming division, is what grants the awesome might of importance. However, in our culture, not many people want to do this. It could offend somebody or hurt somebody's feelings. It could get you disciplined at, the, at your workplace. It could cause your spouse to give you blue balls. Importance is rare. Very rare. But there are two people in our culture that embody this better than anyone I've ever seen. The two most important people in our culture, in my opinion. They're more important than the president. They're beyond any bureaucrat could ever hope to be. The ruling class envies them and the mob hates them. They've toppled companies, establishments, and have forged new empires. They don't play by the rules. They're the ultimate instigators. And they're the two men whose picture they took together appears at the top of this post. Again, don't read this blog.com. Elon Musk and Kanye West. This may, may seem odd to some, a bold claim to make, but these go away when you look at what they're driven by. They want to change the world. They both have changed the world in numerous ways, but it all comes down to one genesis. David Goggins is an ultra-marathon runner and former Army Ranger and Navy SEAL. He's one of the hardest motherfuckers you'll ever meet. see. He's basically the modern-day Captain America. His book, Can't Hurt Me, is excellent. In that book, he describes the process of something of something of becoming said hardest motherfucker you'll ever see as, quote, removing his governor. The governor is a device that lies in your speedometer in your car. It prevents you from going over a certain speed limit. It limits your car's true potential to go as fast as it can go, according to Goggins correctly, by the way. If you remove your governor, you can unlock a whole other side of whatever it is, either in your car or in your mind. 
Musk and West haven't just removed their governors. They have no governor at all. They're not bound to a damn thing. No one can and has ever told them, as you saying something, what to do. They do whatever the fuck they please, and they don't give a single shit what anyone thinks. Some people find it exhilarating. Others find it terrifying. Depending on the context, it could be either. As for the title of this podcast, that is a biblical context, and I think I've gone into this before. There's a famous Bible passage where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For a while, this confused the shit out of me. Why should the meek inherit anything? They don't deserve it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They were just there. Until Jordan Peterson changed my view on it, and my life, if we're being frank, forever. Peterson interpreted the quote in a different way. Peterson does not interpret meekness as being passive or weak. A person of true meekness, according to Peterson, is the one that is fully capable of doing harm, but instead keeps his sword sheathed. He knows that he's a bad motherfucker, and that he's dangerous. Yet he does not act on it. He can, but he chooses not to. He embodies the Logos, making, quote, habitual order out of chaos, to quote Peterson. He called it the remedy for ideological violence, and he was correct. Embodying the monster, as he calls it, is simply knowing that you can change the world in the status quo. You don't have to raise hell, but you can do so if the moment calls. This perfectly embodies the constructive instigation of Musk and West. I can't build an electric car or rocket, you say. Tesla is now the most valuable automaker in world history, and SpaceX can make a rocket cheaper than NASA. I can't be a black Republican, you say. Black voters voted for Trump at three times the clip of, com of the combined average of George Bush, John McCain, and Mitt Romney, which is historically around 3%. Musk views talking as inefficient. He wants to beam thoughts into your head. West is building a faith-based, self-sustained community in Wyoming. Musk blew a joint on Joe Rogan's podcast that cratered his stock price by 6%. West broke down crying in a speech on targeted abortion towards black people in South Carolina. I can promise you that these two men don't give a single fuck about any status quo. They wipe their feet with it before they walk into the houses that they built. Important people keep their swords sheathed. They don't use them unless they have to. And when they do, you mess with them at your peril. Being a constructive instigator is how you get ahead. In our world, you cannot allow yourself to be dictated by anyone. You shouldn't be a cock about it, obviously, but you need to be assertive in how you run your life. You don't have to be Elon Musk or Kanye West. In fact, I would advise you for multiple reasons to not be like them in all facets. But they stand true as beacons to what we all should strive to be. Individual people who shun outside validation in favor of our own individual meaning in a grand scale of the societal fabric of meaning. In order to look on this phenomenon and apply it to our lives, we need to understand why most people are not assertive, why being assertive gets you further, and how you can switch subtleties in your mindset in order to provide you with this freedom. Because, in the words of Kanye West, I like some of the Gaga songs, but what the fuck does she know about cameras? It's my favorite Kanye line ever, by the way, and I, there's a lot of them that are really good. As we've seen from our limited sample size, to be fair, constructive instigation is what propels you further in life. Note the word constructive. You don't want to pick fights, especially fights you have no hope of winning. Remember a couple paragraphs ago when I said I, couldn't, I don't fall completely in line with the words of Musk and West? This is what I'm talking about. They both fucked up a ton because of their lack of a governor makes it nearly impossible for self-regulation in some circumstances, and this is not good. But, I would argue, it is better than what is on the other side of the equation proposes. If you stand for nothing, especially in terms of dictating your own life, you will unintentionally get swept under the rug of either the toxic side of the mob. You will be an aggrieved victim. You'll succumb to toxic victimhood in one shape or form. 
Some certain things will no longer be your responsibility in this newfound logic. This is also not good, and I would argue that it's worse. But so many people are this way. They're just going with the flow of life, not making sure that anything goes in the, within their favor on fronts that they should definitely be making an attempt to do so. But why? In my opinion, there are several reasons, and they're good reasons, mostly driven by a ruling class on both sides of the mob. But like most drivel peddled by these two entities, it's just that, drivel. It doesn't really mean anything. They just want you to believe that it does. Shut up and obey, they say. The hypocrisy in all of this is that, in the words of Tucker Carlson, whatever they tell you to do is not to do, they are inherently doing themselves. Mark Zuckerberg dropped a nuke on the world of digitalized socialization. He and his speech-mongering cretins now flag things left and right for being instigative. Just ask the New York Post, they'll tell you. Jeff Bezos has pledged to donate $10 billion to climate change initiatives. That's nice, says the guy who ships billions of items in cardboard and plastic packaging a year. Governor Andrew Cuomo yells at people for not wearing masks. Apparently his brother Chris, who also lives in New York, doesn't have to follow that rule, among others. These violators of don't number three have no right to tell you how to run your life. You decide that. They do not. Again, you should not go out of your way to be a raging dickwad to people. That is also not good. But you should live your life on your own terms. And that means you need to figure out the reasons to why more people do than not do not do so. The first reason that I would highlight is the social stigma that is attached to the context of being assertive. There is one for both men and women, and we will highlight it in, in we will highlight the both of them. Jeez, I'm stuttering all over the place. I'm sorry, guys. I must have been rusty or something. For overall context, the definition of assertive, a word I will frequently substitute for instigation, is, quote, disposed to or characterized by bold or confident statements or behavior, end quote. For men, the stigma attached itself to toxic masculinity. As you discussed numerous times in a podcast a couple weeks ago, toxic masculinity is a load of garbage. Masculinity is a neutral word. It is a state of being, not one that is shaped dramatically by context. Femininity is the same way. It is all in the usage. Are some men toxic? You better believe it. But is a person who is masculine toxic just in the predisposition that he is masculine? Absolutely not. That is a distinction that must be made clear from the jump. In the current war on masculinity, we've seen this become more prominent. Mansplaining has become a mainstream term. Senator Cory Booker is perhaps the most hilarious example of this that I've seen. Google it. It's hilarious. Witch hunts over masculine men have ranged from big bankers to NFL players to technology consultants. Sensitivity training is all the rage in corporate America. Trust it from a guy who's had to do way too much of it. When a man asks masculine, he now has to tread very lightly over fear that he would be labeled as, quote, toxic. And this is absolutely ludicrous. A person, no matter the gender, should not have to apologize for acting the way, that, the way they act as long as they are not infringing upon or harming someone else's right to do the same. This is not the same as getting offended. Just because you can't take someone being themselves doesn't mean that person has to change. Some men absolutely take this too far. They impose their will on people by bullying them and standing over them. They intimidate people. They make inappropriate advances or comments on women that should have no place in our society. But there's a name for this, toxic immaturity. These, quote, men are not acting like men at all. They're acting like boys. They have no self-control or self-respect. A man does not act this way. They're more mature than that. Only boys stoop to that level, and they can't reach the top shelf. For women, the stigma attaches itself to being a bit bitch or being bossy. This is, again, a ludicrous statement on its face. Just because a woman asserts herself does not mean that she's doing it because she's inherently bossy or a bitch. That's just a statement most likely resulting from toxic immaturity, which can also exist in females, believe it or not, that creates animosity out of spite, most likely for her current status than an organization. It's not only wrong, it's inaccurate. This is a tough road for women to navigate. 
the majority of my friends are women, and they tell me this all the time. The majority of my female friends are not victims, and they take ownership for their actions and shortcomings when they are not in their favor. But nearly all of them tell me of at least an instance or two where they were treated in disparaging fashion due to their gender because they wanted to give direction or take charge. It's an unfair reality of the situation, and we should not tolerate it when we see it. The key to getting rid of this stigma is the word I mentioned earlier, constructive. If a woman is asserting herself with genuine reason and purpose behind it, we should listen to what she has to say and formulate a plan on how to adapt to it. But if she's just raging about shit just to rage about shit and to piss people off, then I think the bitch word would suffice. This is hardly the case, but it's a distinction that needs to be made. There is a line for men and women that should, they should not cross, and when, we do, and when they do, we should offer a solution of course correcting for both. Most of them do not mean to, and we should hold them accountable so they can learn to hold themselves accountable. The second reason that people do not assert themselves is mindless positivity. Mindless positivity, as we've talked about numerous times as well, is horseshit. This type of horseshit that I'm referencing is the current toxic, truly toxic in this case, culture of self-acceptance and self-love. While many people think that this is a good thing, it most certainly is not. So around the time I was writing this post, a freshly permed Mark Manson, which is phenomenal by the way, was a guest on Drew Barrymore's talk show to talk about this exact, exact subject, and I had no fucking idea Drew Barrymore had a talk show, so that was interesting. In usual fashion, he obliterated it. In this context, according to Manson, we confused indulgence and, quote, being okay with bad behavior as an excuse to get ahead. For example, typical self-care routines, quotes around that, for some include getting your nails done, eating food that tastes good but is horrible for you, getting on Tinder and fucking a bunch of girls, etc., I have no problem with women getting their nails done, people eating food that's horrible for them, and having safe, casual sex. What I do have a problem with is people resorting to these activities every time their image of self-love is threatened. Self-love is propped up on self-esteem, which is having a high regard of oneself, basically feeling good. Whenever that high regard is hit with an adverse situation, your self-esteem naturally decreases, and this happens quite often. And if your only remedy is nail treatments, bad food, and sex, you're going to have a pretty miserable existence in the long run. It's a very definition of diminishing returns of value. It gets worse over time. It's an unsustainable business model waiting to fly off the rails. When we feel like we owe the world something for things that we cannot control, some of the adverse things that have happened to us, we start to feel like shit. But the only thing you owe something to is to yourself, and that is to be responsible. It is the definition of what freedom should be, in my estimation. Ali Bestuki, the author of You're Not Enough, knows this all too well. This movement is narcissistic on its face. It makes you avoid responsibility for anything that happens in your life. And she's absolutely right. If all you have to do is love yourself no matter what happens to you, your life will fall apart rather quickly around you. I would advise you not to stretch this theory too far. Barrymore, surprisingly for a Hollywood icon, was actually a fan of this talk. It led her, at the end, to drop a slogan that we all should adopt. It is one that is a play on the traditional pr approach of toxic self-love culture, one that automatically remedies, us for it, remedies it for us. Go fix yourself. And this is, of course, exactly what needs to happen. I talked about it in my post about self-esteem, and you can go read that again, don't read this blog.com. You don't have to always like yourself, but you have to always value yourself. There's a difference. Valuing yourself is taking responsibility and making sure you don't make a bevy of mistakes and unfucking yourself from situations, aka fixing yourself. In our culture of self-love, assertiveness goes against this grain of the notion. You just have to love yourself and you'll be fine. But they will not be fine, said the narrator. Right you are, narrator. Self-love in the majority of today's context is just a translation for avoidance. All forms of mindless positivity eventually come down to this in the end. 
It is your job to avoid it and make sure that you don't get just go love yourself, but you go fix yourself. Lastly, it's just easier not to be assertive. If you don't stick out, you don't have to deal with the consequences of sticking out. There's a saying that so many finance majors and wannabe college athletes overuse that reads, quote, everybody wants to be a beast until it comes time to do what beasts do, end quote. As much as I want to puke from having just said that, the sympathy rings true for all. And look no further than our friends Elon or Kanye. Would you want to get as much hate as they do? Take as many arrows that are being slung at them? I certainly wouldn't. Again, this is not being at the level of these two men. That's not what I'm alluding to at all. Instead, what I'm saying is play on that quote. Everybody wants to be an instigator until it comes time to do what instigators do. It's hard to get ask your boss for a well-deserved raise. It's easier just to get what you get paid what you get paid and get undercut on the quality of your labor. It's hard to confront your boyfriend about an inappropriate comment he made toward another girl while out last night. It's easier to just let it slide and fake your misery. It's hard to tell your kid that they weren't good enough to make the team. It's easier to join him on the victimhood bandwagon and delude them into thinking that they were good enough and that they were just robbed for a completely irrelevant reason. But these are all things that need to be done. Alluding to our second point, it is what a responsible individual does. You're immediately rectifying the situation and taking control over the small amount of things you have direct control over. You shun the outside noise and the nonsense in favor of something much greater, the self-value of taking culpability for what you need to do to get the most out of your life. And that is why the instigators will inherit the earth. But it's not enough to see why people are not assertive in the first place. Most people need more incentive to go against the grain. We are creatures that respond to higher purpose and stimuli. It is to that higher purpose that we turn next. I'm not a big believer in motivation. Motivation, in the words of Jocko Willink, is fickle. It can get you started and going on something, but it will most likely not be enough to take you to the end of any worthwhile goal. Your discipline does that for you. Many of you might confuse this section for a lecture and my personal hypocrisy of motivation. I do not think that this is the case. It's my blog and podcast, you shocked. This is simply what will happen should you adopt the mantle of constructive instigation. I've seen it play out numerous times both personally and interpersonally. I think that adopting this mindset will not only get you further within, but with other people in situations as well. The first reason why adopting an assertive personality bodes well is strictly due to the numbers. Bruce Arians, who is in the running for my favorite football personality ever, has a great quote that I've based a lot of things on in my own life. Quote, if you don't take a big shot, you're never going to hit one. End quote. Now, granted, this is coming from a man who scripts a 50-yard touchdown pass in nearly every single one of his plays, and God, do I love it. But it's true in most phases of life. Most sane people would never even think of having Tom Brady uncork a 45 razor up to Chris Godwin on a third and two on the opposing team's 45-yard line. But Bruce Arians always does. He can't help himself. He has to at least see if it's open. When you have more opportunities, your odds automatically increase of going in your favor. There are simply more targets for you to hit. You have to be competent, of course. There's a difference between having Tom Brady throwing the football and Blaine Gabbert throwing it. But the more times you try that deep ball or that big shot, the more chances you give yourself to drop a dime in the quarter of the end zone for six points. Additionally, these chances can yield greater returns. For example, if Tom Brady were to throw a five, 10 five-yard passes and complete seven of them, he would obtain 35 yards of field position. But if Tom Brady were to throw 10 40-yard passes and only complete two of them, he would obtain 80 yards of field position, nearly doubling his game with less than two times the rate of success. There's a reason why analytics are taking up such a big part of business and sports. It's why the Houston Rockets try to shoot a shot in less than seven seconds and would vastly prefer that shot to be a layup or a three-pointer. 
It's more efficient. Does it work all the time? No. But when it does, it really works. There is a reason why I don't believe the field of marketing will exist in a maximum of 15 years. Data can do it better, faster, and more efficiently than humans. All you have to do is hire a hipster on the street to draw something and the algorithm would do the rest. When applied properly, this can create an ability to create disproportionate returns in your life. People can see all the writing on the wall, especially the smart ones. They know that it's about a wide distribution of chances, finding out which ones yield the best results and trying to hit as many of them as you possibly can. There are a ton of universities out there in the world. There are a lot of good ones out there. I applied to a grand total of two and got into both, albeit the one I eventually chose later that I desired. I was incredibly selective in my criteria and wanted to take a big shot to get all of what I felt were my needs met. And it worked. I couldn't have imagined going to a place that I'd seen all the opportunities as my university did in all the areas of my life. I would have settled if I had just blasted out applications just to blast out applications. It would have been wasted motion. A common piece of advice I tell college business students is to only target five companies for internships and full-time positions. Do extreme vetting. Like our friend Greg McCune has said repeatedly, you don't want to go a millimeter in a million different directions. This is essential diversification personified. For my junior year internship and my first job out of college, I took a grand total of two companies seriously. I got my top choice both times. When you dedicate yourself to a specific avenue, you'll be stunned at how it can work out for you should you give it the proper push. The same goes in dating. I've maligned myself at, hopefully your enjoyment, about my constant falling on my face in regards to women. But the reason that I fail so much isn't because I'm a horrible person, at least my mom tells me I'm not. It's because I'm very specific about who I decide to pursue and why. I take big shots. I go after people who are, quote, out of my league. But here's the thing that the frat bros don't tell you, sorority girls as well. No one is out of your league. No one. Not a single person. I don't give a single fuck how hot they are, how much money they make, what job they have, nothing. Is this hard to put in practice all the time? Absolutely it is. I suck at it more than I'm good at it. But the attitude of aiming up, of choosing constructive instigation, is much better at aiming down and only settling for what you can get while scraping the bottom of the barrel. We would all much rather have a chance with one person we find incredibly attractive than with five people we only find moderately attractive. We would all much rather have two job openings we would love versus ten that we would like. With constructive instigation, you can choose your sample size and your number of tries, and what you do with that is up to you. Additionally, when you take more chances, it gives you more opportunity to improve on those chances. Like interest, mistakes compound on themselves. Missteps provide the future pathways. Things begin to open up for you because you know where and why other things close. Frequent mistakes in areas where you can stake marginal improvement within allow yourself to, allow yourself to get better faster. You can eventually get to a state where you create better chances for yourself specifically in how you fuck up. This is crucial to any aspect of how anyone learns. Much like a child not touching a hot stove, you must acknowledge and own your shortcomings. You'd be doing it a service to yourself not to. In my case, and this is what I did, I did a state of the don't read this blog address at the end of the year in form of a YouTube video. Well, I didn't do the YouTube video, I just did the post. I ripped myself several new ones. My failures in this blog have been tremendous throughout the year. I can't even look at some of my posts without wondering in shame why I put that dog shit up front for the internet to see. It's hilariously embarrassing. But in doing that, I think I'll allow myself room to deliver better and more digestible content for a lot of people, if there are indeed a lot of people who read my site and visit my material, which I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't looked at my analytics in a while. I plan on making large changes to how I go about my business pertaining to my content and how I think I can cast a wider net and get better, and I have. In other words, leveraging my massive failures to get me more opportunities. In, and in other other words, to create an environment of constructive instigation that will project me to 
and an upward aim, not a downward one. Now, you don't necessarily need a form of public roasting in order to do this. I only do it because I'll probably entertain myself along the way. It's the re only reason I do any of this shit, to be honest with you. Be assertive and constructively instigate with yourself. Think about everything. Analyze what you've done good and especially bad and work to improve both. Constant analysis allows for greater future progression. Measure yourself against yourself and where you would like to be. Define these measurables and your margins for error explicitly. Accountability is key with everything, especially something as important as constructive internal instigation. Because remember, the non-tyrannical, substitute any adjective you wish, collective, begins with a non-tyrannical self. You have a part to play in the creation and sustainability of both. Lastly, why people who instigate constructively get ahead more is another appeal in the numbers game. The more instigations you make that are constructive, the more gains that you will make within feedback and networking. A lot of people that say having a lot of people around you that agree with you is a bad thing, and I would say maybe. It's a very contextual given the circumstances of a particular situation. It's a bad thing if these people are just yes-men who enable you and tell you shit that you want to hear so you'll feel good all the time. But that doesn't solve anything. It only leads to regression and flawed ideas about most things. But it's also a very good thing when it forms a community. Communities are hard to find these days, particularly with things like declining church atten attendance and the lack of social engagements in other areas of our lives. But it's very possible to form one, and you should try to use your constructive instigation in order to do so. You should hold yourself accountable and have others do the same. It is very nice to have kinship with people who reinforce your belief system and make you feel secure in yourself. You can take this too far, obviously, but accountability goes both ways. You have to be set up to succeed in one fashion, but you can also slip into the dogma of ignore the rea you also cannot slip into the dogma and ignore the realities of the situation at hand. Constructive instigators naturally have less of a community than non-constructive instigators. They are instigators, after all. But usually I've seen that they've had better better communities than a lot of others. The majority of people being worthy of the title quote celebrity get in our society in our society got that way by being an instigator. Whether that's releasing a sex tape or dropping a fire album or creating a great business, they all went against the grain. They met a lot of other people who did as well. And if they did things correctly, they're probably reaping a lot of reward from it. You shouldn't want to be a celebrity necessarily, but you should want to have control over and dominance over the direction of your life. Most do not do that, and it's a sad thing. But there are things you can do to have that, worked in your, in or, have that in working order in order to switch it up. And the way you switch something up is by the way you switch most things up, by doing a shit ton of bath salts and mowing down things with a chainsaw until you find an avenue that works. <laughs> that is, if you are indeed a bath salt addict. But most constructive instigators, you're usually not this. Some are, although they are few and far between. Like most things, you don't want to peek a bull and pull a big old fuck it out of your belt and come out swinging for the home runs. You'll probably just end up constructively instigating all over yourself, which is not a pretty sight at all. Jeffrey Tubin tried to do that, and it didn't end well for him. So to avoid tubing all over ourselves, we must, we must stop, start small when attempting to flip your personality in this fashion. These do not have to be big gestures at all. I'll allude to my ineptitude and funny escapades of the opposite sex again. For the longest time, I've had a tremendous fear of approaching or talking to any woman who, that was remotely attractive. It still hasn't completely gone away, and it probably won't, and that's a good thing. We all need a little excitement in our lives, if you can call this that. So what I decided to do was set a quota. Each day while at college, I would look 10 random girls in the eye as I was walking down the street or in a hallway and smile at them. Most smiled back, some didn't, some were attractive, some were not, but none of this was the point. Conditioning the brain matters. It takes a lot to flip habits so that they work in your favor. Your brain is the most complicated thing that humans have ever encountered. 
It will probably take another several dozen miracles of modern science to fully understand it in the least. But for now, what we do know is that we are what we repeatedly do. Your brain knows that, and that's what it signals to you. From the food you eat to who you vote for to what gets you to tubing all over yourself, it knows. The brain knows you can't change something that it does rapidly without being exposed to something reminiscent of a trip on psychedelics or horrific trauma. So what you need to do is take more small chances initially. Constructive instigate, and constructively instigate something that you would want to get better at. Make it uncomfortable but not unbearable. Slowly edge your comfort zone over the edge of where it was and begin to push the borders out. If you're scared of interviewing for a job, start simply by saying hi and introducing yourself to someone who is at your current place of work that you don't know yet. You're familiar enough, but you don't know each other that well. The same goes at school. If you've made eye contact with someone, say hi and introduce yourself. Learn how to break the ice and get comfortable with first impressions. They matter. Just make sure you don't tube and all over yourself in the process. If you don't know how to assert yourself in a conversation, start by making a small joke or aside. Do it at your expense. Fuck the negative self-talk or whatever the con artist self-help people tell you to do. Negative self-talk isn't even a thing. Learn to be uncomfortable with and laugh at yourself once in a while. Those little chips at your psyche will not prove detrimental. Quite the opposite, in fact. They'll make you tougher and more likable. Because, let's face it, no one wants to be friends with a stiff who can't take, stiff, who can't take a fucking joke. Just literally ask any slightly non-PC comedian in the last half decade. They'll tell you. Don't go for the home runs right away. Start by hitting singles. Work your way up. Derek Jeter didn't hit a lot of home runs, but he hit a fuck ton of singles and doubles. Barry Bonds had to do an assload of steroids to even come close to Hank Aaron. I would not recommend doing an assload of steroids. Don't cheat yourself. Play the game right and fair way, and be right and fair with yourself. Don't stretch yourself too thin, and don't play the game the way it, should be, the way it shouldn't be played. Work your way up, and you'll work your constructive instigation up as well. And an add-on to this. Do it with someone you trust first. Your parents, significant other, friend, etc. You'll be more likely to take chances starting from a place of comfort. That way, when you work outside to push that comfort zone as far away as possible, you'll be prepared whenever the time comes. This has hints throughout our psychology. We need people we love and trust to help us through things. It's why men have a harder time dealing with internal issues than women do, in my estimation. We like to bottle everything up while women don't. The aforementioned Mark Manson encountered a man with a similar issue in his latest audiobook, Love is Not Enough. In the book, he interviewed five people over several months at different sets of relationships and or personal issues in order to determine the best way to help them. Manson used to be a dating and relationship blogger and coach. His book, Models, is the best I've ever read on the subject. I highly recommend it. The most interesting people that was person that was chronicled was a man who went by the alias of Jerry, a middle-aged man who had recently been through a really rough divorce. There was animosity, financial revenge, the whole nine yards. This, understandably left this poor man pretty scared about getting back into the dating scene once again. He was so scarred by his past that he was afraid of getting any, any conflict at all. In other words, he was not a fan of constructive instigation. This is a problem within a relationship. You shouldn't go out and pick fights to pick fights, but you should hold your ground. Conflict is necessary in a relationship, but where you have your conflicts are crucial. Starting it over petty shit is usually not a good route to travel. But Manson didn't suggest he pick a fight, he simply suggested they turn the thermostat up. You see, Jerry was freezing his ass off in his new girlfriend's apartment, but he was too afraid to tell her, so he kept shivering in his cold misery. Manson then asked him several basic questions. Do you think your girlfriend is really going to flip a shit if you ask her to turn the thermostat up? Is your relationship going to end over this? Is this conversation going to realistically drop a nuke on your life? The answer was every, to everyone was, of course, no. 
Jerry had complete trust in his girlfriend. He had gassed her up for the entire time he talked to Mark Manson. All I had to do was turn the thermostat up, and he did. And you know what? She understood. She even thought it was a bit cold as well. Funny how shit works when you yank your head out of your own ass and start thinking like a normal human being. Turn up the volume a little bit on the TV when you're out with when you're with your parents. A personal angst of my mother. Tell your brother he's full of shit once in a while. Stand up to your grandfather when he tells you, quote, back in my day, and say that you'll live in today, Grandpa. They'll still love you in the end, most likely. If they don't, that's a them problem, not a you problem. The ones with a thick skin make it farther. You'll do yourself a shit ton of good if you follow the same ideological model. To back this up, however, you must have more than your feelings. You must have a reason behind your constructive assertiveness, or guess what? It's not constructive assertiveness. That's just you being a twat. You shouldn't do things without logical and reasonable thinking behind them. It's what separates us from the animals. Have a reason when your daughter asks if the sky is blue or when your son asks why the dirt is brown. Does it have to be right? Not necessarily. But don't give them the, quote, I am an adult and you are a child spiel. That's a cop-out. I always hated that shit, even when my parents tried to make it sound like it was right, and it was most of the time. This divorced you to have a why for everything. It forced you to back up something when you asked to do it for yourself. In other words... It trains you to be disciplined with how you assert yourself in your life. For example, when you go ask your boss for a raise, you shouldn't just go in there, slam your hand on the desk, and yell, I want a raise, right in his face. That would make you a child and undermine all your credibility. An adult would have their performance at the ready. They would have comparables to their peers handy. They would have charted aspects of their accomplishments at their disposal to deploy at their choosing to further their point on why the company should shell out more money for them. If you don't have these things, they probably won't give you a raise. And for good reason. The constructive instigators know how and when to assert themselves. If you're just doing this for shits, it's probably not a good idea to do it. People are smart. They'll see that through that shit in two seconds. You probably won't get very far. If you have a problem with someone or something, talk about it and have things that back it up. Don't just spout off about how it's something sucks or how you want something to change without having a plan. Politicians and pay-for-TV lawyers do this all the time, and it's nonsense. You shouldn't want to be either one of them. They're not here to be looked up to. They're here to serve you. Don't promise empty or you'll come up empty when it really counts. Have a reason why you turn up the thermostat or ask for a raise or randomly smile at a girl that you don't know walking up to your marketing recitation. If you do and it's legitimate, you'll probably end up getting reasonable remarks and sentiment from most reasonable people, as you should. And we all should recognize by this point that it is the instigators that inherit the earth. And as we all know, it's better to be on their side than on the side of the opposition. As individuals, we cannot succumb to the dogma of what surrounds us. Rather, we must dictate our own personal dogma. We must create avenues in our own lives to get where we can press the issue for the righteous benefit of our game. Not to tread on anyone else, but to elevate ourselves toward our own purpose. By fulfilling our own assertive qualities, we can individually make a footprint on shaping our worlds, which will then shape the idea of the world to, of the collective to form a whole of individuals seeking true identity. You don't have to be Elon Musk or Kanye West. But you should understand their importance, not their power. Power is fickle in comparison to importance. Importance is the gateway to power, not the other way around. By being important in your own way, you must find a way to constructively instigate yourself to that position. By carefully inserting yourself there, by picking your spots, you can give yourself a fighting chance to get there. If you don't take a big shot, you're never going to hit one. If you don't take several small shots first, you can never afford to take a big one. If you don't work yourself up to take several small shots, you'll be dictated to by other people. That is a fate that is not most comfortable to most. I would advise going against the grain and doing everything you can to assert yourself in the other direction. That is, unless you're Jeffrey Tubman, then for fuck's sake, 
do not. So that's my shtick, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I think it's a really important thing to kind of insert into your life to really kind of adopt. Don't think of it in the way people like to think about it. Think about it in your own way. Own the day. Open your mind. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?